how the hell did I blag Joe Wicks to come on our podcast? All I did was ask the question. I met him at an event. I asked him to come on my podcast and he said, yes, anything is possible. Welcome to the Anything Is Possible podcast. And today we have, I cannot believe I'm saying it, the body coach, Mr. Joe Wicks. So thank you, Joe, for sparing the time for today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on as a guest. When I met you in Manchester, I said, look, if you're going to ask, now's the time. And I promise I'll find time and we can do it a little chat over Zoom. So thanks again for inviting me on. Oh, well, I think it really shows anyone listening anything really is possible. Um, you know, ask the question and sometimes the answer is yes, which is amazing. So, um, Joe, I've followed you for years and I think I've mentioned it in other podcasts before and I've done a blog on it before. The massive thing that I have always been inspired by you was your original story of being absolutely relentless and saying that you would, and you share it, but you know, you used to do this boot camp, and did you not just used to turn up and turn up? I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, I've shared that story quite a few times because I think often when you see someone on social media, you think that they've just had this great career from the start and it just blew up from day one. But I'm a 10 year overnight success story. I launched my first, uh, you know, boot camp in 2012. It was the Olympics year, and I remember, you know, thinking, right, I'm going to give this a go and I want to be my own boss. I'm going to get my little trailer and get my equipment. I'm going to turn up at the park. And I had this vision that 50 people were going to be there. And, you know, I, I was hoping that most people were going to just see me there and just join every week. But it, it, like anything, it's a struggle to promote yourself to market, to be established in a new town. And I, I was living in service at my dad's house and I would cycle to Richmond, which is probably about four or five miles. And I, I couldn't afford a van at the time. So I had a trailer, like one of those clip-on trailers onto the back of your bike. And um, <laughs> I'd have my kettlebells in there, my boxing pads and... Um, you know, I'd have my kept my TRX and my battle rope, and it was quite a heavy trailer. And I was riding there, and I'd be like, right, this is the day, you know, I'm going to get new people turn up, and I'm going to be really excited and positive. And I'd get there, and some days, you know, there'd be nobody there, and it was happened many, many times. But I just refused to give up. I refused to sort of think, well, if I give up and go and work at a gym, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I just thought, I'm never going to do this. I've got to stick with this. I've got to stick with it and believe in it. So I would go flying outside Richmond train station, handing out flyers. Because that's all I could afford, you know, a thousand flyers for like 20 quid or whatever. And I'd stand there giving them out. Um, and it was just that, that rule of just keep coming back, keep turning up. One person will come next week and they might bring a friend or they might tell their friends on social media. So I applied that principle to the boot camp. And then when I started sharing stuff on social media, like YouTube and Instagram, it was the same thing. Like nobody's there. No one's listening. No one's watching. But if you keep turning up, you keep sharing a recipe once a week or you share a YouTube video once a week, like that audience grows and you have a community. So it took a long time and I always say that there was this positive internal voice in my head that never let me quit, never told me to give up, always cheered me and said, come on, Joe, just keep going back. You're good at this. You love it. Keep going. And that was it. And it's just been ever since that moment, I've just continued to apply that principle. And how long would you say it took from those first boot camps to kind of, you know, them filling up? How long was, how long did that take? Well, the one in Surbiton was actually quite quite a successful bootcamp. I had a direct debit business. So, you know, you could sign up to like a, a one a week or two a week or something. It was quite a stable income. But the body coach bootcamp in um, Richmond never really took off. I mean, I think I had at the peak maybe 15 members. Um, really? And eventually, yeah, kind of um, when I started to shift online, just sharing 
content and releasing an online fitness plan, my my revenue sort of tipped to a dig- digital, more virtual content. So then I passed the bootcamp on to a friend and I let him continue to run it. But yeah, it was hard. I mean, good year or two of graft and I had no money. I was living with my dad. I borrowed a couple of grand off my mum and dad to like buy the equipment and do the personal training qualification. But like anyone, whether you're establishing yourself as a freelance trainer in a park or you're starting out in a gym with other trainers around you, there's so much competition. It's really hard to stand out and to get business. Like, But if you don't persevere through those early months or years, you're never going to achieve what you want and have, ever have a company that's going to be successful. Well, it's really inspired me actually with the podcast because I've had my, so I started my events business summer of 2012 when the Olympics was on. And then this is a new venture for me. And honestly, your words have rung in my ear because I remember listening to it. Um, so the other thing that I find, I've been re-watching Lean in 15, which I know you said before makes you cringe, but genuinely every single little video was bringing a smile to my face and I'd forgotten about midget trees, in with the Lucy B, guilty. Um, you obviously are really creative to have come up with that because we're going back, that was 2014, was it, when you started doing those videos? Yeah, I actually cringe. Sometimes I get tagged in old videos and I cringe because it's like, I'm just going to put this light down a little bit. I cringe because I was so loud and uh, like, I just think it's unbearable to watch it back. But obviously someone thought it was funny or it was engaging. And I realised that, you know, the more personality I got into, the more um, the more animated, the more I was, you know, hanging out the window and throwing the food across the room. It just made people laugh and giggle a little bit. And I think it, it caught people's attention. And that obviously led to the, the growth of my Instagram. Um, but yeah, it was 2014 and I was living in a one bedroom flat in service and I had my iPhone and I built a business, you know, I, I really have built a multi-million pound business from an iPhone and Instagram, you know, and I think it's inspiring, but I also think it was just timing, right? I had the right idea, the right energy at the right time when Instagram was growing. Um, and it is much harder now to reach people on social media. And how, like, are you quite creative anyway? Would you always do like, I don't know, as a kid, would you have put on a show or something like that? Because it's actually inspired when you watch it back how clever it was with that 15 second window we used to get. Yeah, so the, the original um, Lean in 15 was basically the first time video came on Instagram was a 15 second clip. You could only do 15 seconds. So it was a lean recipe in 50, like a 15 minute meal in 15 seconds. And that's where the hashtag came from. But no, I mean, I was I was always a bit of a clown. I was a bit of an attention seeker. You know, I was a disruptive kid because I, I struggled with what was going on at home. And I think I played up at school. So I was trying to get attention and I, someone's asked me how I was doing and stuff. But yeah, I wasn't, I didn't dream of being, um, you know, have, having a social media following and, and, and being like in the limelight. I was actually really happy to just be a PE teacher. That was my goal, to go to university and um, learn to become a PE teacher. But things just took a turn when I started sharing those silly videos. And I think Lean in 15 was honestly the thing that changed my life because I was doing obviously a few YouTube videos and I was doing a few recipes. But when I started sharing those videos, you know, it opened up such a huge audience. And then I got a book deal and then the first book came out and it was so successful because I think people were so engaged in what I was doing online that they really loved and supported the book when it came out. And that, yeah, you know, it changed the direction of my life, I think. Well, that was my next question. Because what, how, so for the normal person, um, how do you go from having a really cool Instagram account to getting a book? I was going to ask you, like, when did all the collabs start to happen? Like, I remember my protein. Like, what happened? Did somebody find you? Did you go after them? So I actually had um, 50,000 followers when I got approached by book publishers to create a book. And I got an email one day from, um, it was from HarperCollins and I thought it was a bit of a spam email. I didn't, they were like, oh, we love what you're doing on social media, come in for a meeting and we'd love to talk to you about doing a cookbook. Well, I actually went into the meeting and when I came out, you know, they basically offered me a book deal on the spot and I was like, oh, I need to think about it. But I rang my mum and I was so excited. I was like, mum, I think I'm gonna do a cookbook, it's amazing. And 
I, I managed to get a literary agent who helped me negotiate the deal. And actually, I actually ended up going with um, Pam McMillan um, for sort of five years. But now I'm actually with HarperCollins. So it's come full circle and I've started yeah. a deal with HarperCollins. But yeah, 50,000 followers. So not a massive audience. But yeah. by the time that first book came out, I think I had maybe like, you know, half a million followers. So massive pre-orders. It got a real buzz. And I think people... They just loved that I was giving out so much free content that when the book came out and it was like nine ninety nine, they went, oh, yeah, I'll have that. And they sort of supported it from the start. But it's crazy. You know, I, I never planned on becoming... I'm not a chef, but I'm obviously a home cook. And I was just literally in a kitchen with an iPhone throwing stuff in a pan. But once I realised that people loved it and were engaging with it and actually like grabbing the Instagram and, and writing it down and going home and cooking it, I got a buzz from that, the impact it was having, like it was in real time. So I just went all in. I doubled down on social media um, and just kept pushing and sharing and, and, you know, putting as much out as I could. What kind of hours were you working then? Was it constant, like, on it all the time? Well, people always think, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're running a business, like, you know, you, you can just stop at 5pm. But really, for me, I was working from sort of 7am to 9, 10pm because everyone was on there in the evening, asking me questions, wanting to interact, you know, wanting to get recipe ideas. And in the morning, they want to get up and do a workout and feel energised. And so... Yeah, my, my timetable was never just nine to five. And I think in order to get where I did social media, I was so obsessed. I mean, every day, screen time, DMs, you know, nurturing the community. You can't just start posting content and leave it at that. You know, you have to engage with people. You have to build that community, that trust. And I was I was obsessed. I really was. And I was very much, you know, antisocial because I'd be on my phone in restaurants. I'd be running to the toilet because I was embarrassed that, you know, I should be with my family. Why am I doing this? But I was so compelled to reply to people instantly. Um that yeah, it was a, it was a lot, but I think that's how I managed to build that huge audience. And even today, I spend hours replying to people. I I don't I don't pile it off to someone else. Like for me, that's my community and that's that's my connection with people. And so I still spend a lot of time, you know, re- replying, sending voice notes, and I love it. I love doing that. It's, it's an amazing part of the actual social media for me. And when did the kind of the collapse happen? So protein powders, things like that. Was that as you was that before or after the books? So it went basically. The first thing came in the books and then off the back of that, you know, a few little sort of small partnerships in the early days um, with like Uncle Ben. I managed to throw the Uncle Ben's rice across the, off, <laughs> off the room. Um, and like things like, because I used to do the build up bagels. So little kind of brand deals that were amazing because it was like, wow, I've just been paid to do a few posts. It was incredible. But as time's gone, I do less and less of that because yeah. I focus on my own business and I don't want to saturate that and I don't need to do that. So I've turned down a lot of things. But I think um, it was the books and then, you know, the partnership with... Um, Gusto, which is incredible. That's the, the meal delivery company. Yeah. So I've got a great partnership and I've invested in them. And then finally, um, the Lululemon brand partnership has just recently come about. It's a two-year partnership, which has been going on, which is amazing. So they're the two major things, the Gusto and the Lululemon. The My Protein thing, actually, we were doing so well in affiliate. We were promoting it through like the app and through the online plan. Yeah. When I actually went public and launched the protein, I just I had a much bigger expectation to it, but it just didn't work. You know, It didn't necessarily fly. The same thing with the pots and pans. I had some Joe Wicks pots and pans. And, it, you know, not everything you try turns to gold. So it's, it's okay to try these things. But I've realized now that I've got to focus, you know, focus on the food and the fitness. Don't get confused and, and um, you know, um, like drawn into everything else that's offered to you. And I think that's really why my, my audience continues to grow. And I still have a, a, you know, highly engaged audience because they don't see me probably saying different every week of the, every day of the week. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think what is interesting when you look back, were you one of the first ones to do like an like a plan? I joined it actually and got emailed literally like the 90-day plan. And I feel like you changed people's perception of like macros, 
versus calories like you could have two pieces of salmon like on your dinner and do you feel that you did sort of inspire that focus on macros rather than just calories yeah I think there was a lot of people around me that were doing social media and online fitness plans I, I definitely spotted some people and thought that's a really interesting thing that they can be in America because I actually thought about you know how amazing that you can have clients all around the world because I, I love my book my boot camp and personal training business but it was only ever like 50 people a week or 100 people a week and I, I wanted yeah. to reach more people so that was when I created the 90 day plan the early sort of pdf proper like analog it was like uh, yeah I've got it <laughs> then, yeah like really basic recipes and um it was tailored the portions were tailored obviously with the it was kind of like a basic excel spreadsheet really yeah but as we've evolved, we've got um, obviously YouTube content and much more digital now of the app and it's a proper tech business. But yeah, there was definitely people doing it, but I think I made it accessible, fun. You know, I've got guys cooking, I've got people giggling a little bit and having fun with it. And I think I made it okay to train at home. Like you don't need a gym membership and you can, you know, use your workout. You can use your living room as a workout space. And I think that kind of really transformed my business. And what happened was it went from like, you know, 10 people a day would sign up to 100 people, then 1,000 people, and it just grew and grew, and it's just become, you know, this amazing online business. And I'm so proud of that because it's reaching a lot of people and it is changing lives. Yeah, I actually did a blog on the fact, so I travel a lot with work and always used to um, struggle to work out when I was traveling. And I discovered your YouTube videos before lockdown and uh, used to do them in my hotel room. So, yeah, I uh, definitely was doing the online thing before 2020. Well, that's great. Um, so- yeah, so um, let's talk facts and figures. Um, you, what? How did it scale? Did you have investment? Um, did you make a loss? Like, what were the steps around the finances? One of one of our kind of goals as a business, and one one I'm really proud of, is that we always always want to be profitable, right? Because I see a lot of companies, you know, they, they raise money, they they raise the valuation, but they're losing money. I just I can't get my head around that, and I don't want to be a business like that, but. We're fully self-funded. We've never raised equity. We've never raised investment, and so we've always grown at a nice pace. We've really invested heavily in the tech platform. So we had an amazing agency in the UK called Us Two, who designed and built the app. Um, very expensive, you know, agency. Then we've now taken it all in house. We've got a fully in-house team of designers and engineers and stuff, and it's it's a completely different business. And I have nothing. I have no. I can't take any credit for that because my brother Nicky's a CEO, and he's built the team. He's created the culture, he's managing everyone, he's hiring, and he's, he's an incredible CEO. And so that's kind of the stuff that Nick is really good at, like the operational stuff. And I'm, you know, good at the content and the marketing and obviously sharing um, the recipes and the food stuff and the fitness. But we're a really good partnership. And um, yeah, we're just, we're proud that we're a family business. It's me and Nicky, a couple of my friends, and we've obviously got a team of people. And we're just trying to grow it in, a, in an economy that's difficult. It's challenging, obviously, this year. Um, but we're going to survive, we're going to get through it. And I think we'll come out, you know, next year still in a strong position with a good subscriber base and you know hopefully um maybe in years to come there'll be time for investment but at the moment we're, we're just doing it on our own we're going for it i actually can't believe you've not had investment that blows my mind so because most people raise when they want to kind of upgrade the app or the technology so that's all been bootstrapped totally yeah and obviously when we obviously walked into that meeting and said oh yeah we're willing to spend x amount that like, we've We've spent a lot more than we planned on and we've invested every single penny. I haven't taken a penny from the Bodyguts business for about five years now because I believe mm. in it and I wanna I wanna grow it and I wanna actually like, you know, create a platform that is sustainable and it it is an amazing app. Have you have you have you tried the app at all? Yeah, I joined it um a, a few weeks ago so I so I could experience it to talk to you. Yeah. What do you think of it compared to the old sort of nine day plan? Oh yeah, well I guess when I did the nine day plan, I was pretty uneducated and wasn't training as much as I do now. Um, so for me, um, I'm kind of 
yeah, I, I probably use used it more when it was analog but only because of my needs but that as as a comparison I mean it's amazing because you've got like your live workouts you can pick you like I want to do 20 minutes on the, I did the abs actually the other day after the gym so you can pick all your workouts and I've joined your Facebook community as well um so I think it's I mean I I'm literally my mind is blown that you've not had investment I cannot believe that you must yeah, be so people, proud. People don't. don't they, they, they think the thing we've taken. We, we've taken it so far because we're we're so fortunate. The organic reach of social media was so strong. It's obviously it is getting harder now. Like if we're going to really take that to the next level and double our subscriber base, like at some point we need investment because you just you just don't get the reach. You know you need to be marketing and you know diff- we're trying different things this year. We're doing some live events and we're doing some radio ads. You know we're trying to um you know use different methods of marketing because the glory days of social media are over. Like. You know, when I used yeah. to, when I used to do a pre-order campaign for a book, I would get tens of thousands of links, click-throughs to Amazon, pre-orders, and I was like the king of pre-orders. It's just harder and harder every year. And so, you know, you've got to adapt. You can't get stuck and rely on social media. You've got to start to own your audience in some way and build out your blog, your newsletters, your database. Go back to the old school, like, because that's controllable, you know? So it's saw on social you did a run, did you, at the weekend as well? Yeah, I do these random meetups where I just say, like, I'm going to be in this park, 9am Saturday morning if you fancy it turn up you know and I get there and I never know who's going to who's going to come and I did one the other day in Banbury which is up near Oxfordshire and there was like 700 people turned up so these are the kind of event this is this is like a chance to meet your audience to meet to meet your community to to engage to be inspired and so I I love these things and it doesn't cost any money it's a few hours of my time and it means so much to people so never lose sight of the things that you know it might seem small scale but it's impactful, you know, it really is. So I do those every now and again, wherever I'm in the country. And um, yeah, I really enjoy that kind of interaction with people to, to, to feel the actual impact that what my content and all, all the energy I put into the world actually is doing for people. Does it blow your mind that you're an actual celebrity? <laughs> I, I mean, I don't, it's weird because I don't see myself as a celebrity. Like, I, I live such a, you know, I live with my wife and kids. I'm not at red carpet events and going to awards. I'd I'm not really in this celebrity world. I don't, you know, do the whole like, hello and okay, thing shit. So I always get asked. They always say, we do Strictly, we do Celebrity. And, you know, I just sort of, I've got such a, what I said to my dad the other day, actually, I've got a lovely level of success and fame where I, I could, I'm, I'm really proud of my career, but I can go out to the park or go to the farm with the kids and I, I'm not mobbed. I haven't got security. I can just be a normal guy with my kids. So, although some, some environments will be a bit busier if I'm going to like, um, Let's say I go to like Alton Towers or Thorpe Park, you know, a lot of families are recognised. There might be a few selfies, but, you know, it's still it's still nice. It's not overwhelming. So for me, I'm not really like celebrity driven, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, you can tell, you can tell. So um, I'd be really interested to know, you're a decade, well, from when you started the boot camps, you're a decade old. Um, so what, what did the decades look like? Just to, for people that are listening that are starting up, which is a lot of our listeners, 10 years. So was it year one boot camp? Like what were the, the steps? So the first, I suppose, four years, I'd, I'd say from sort of 2012 to maybe it's three years actually, yeah, 20, 2015. So actually, if you think about it, for the first boot camp was 2012 when no one turned up. Then three years later, I did a world record event at Hyde Park in London. So I had like 4,000 people. So it was a lot. It was a hard cut, sort of two or three years. And then the social media sort of kicked in 2014. And that was really slow as well. It was a slow kind of build up. Um, then came the books in 2015 obviously a couple of DVDs, you know, the sort of the standard route. And then I did um, the cookware and the pots and pans in maybe 2017. Um, then I, you know, had ki- I started having kids. I've got three kids now. It's been amazing. Um, P with Joe, obviously it was 2020. That was the lockdown year where I did the P with Joe. Yeah. Um, 
And ever since then, I've been doing, you know, P with Joe tours. I visit different schools. I go around the country trying to keep it alive, you know, keep, you know, what happened during lockdown was families all around the country came together for the, maybe for the first time and exercised in their living room and they lifted their spirits and they felt better and they felt energized. And so I don't want that to just die out as, as lockdown ended. I'm trying to constantly think of ways, you know, can I do a podcast that inspires people? Can I do, um, you know, more Walk of Joes and more runs and more events and, and just can continue that. And I'm actually going to Australia next month to do a PE with Joe on tour down under. So I'm taking, really? so I'm going to Singapore to do an event in Singapore and then in Sydney and Melbourne. And so, yeah, like I just want to keep, keep going until I run out of steam basically. And so are you, because of PE with Joe through lockdown, I think I heard, did you get 8 million online at one point? We had um, the most live streams we ever had was an, almost a million live connections on the second day, which is obviously the peak. It sort of dropped as the months went by. But globally throughout the whole 18 weeks and the second lockdown too, um, we had 100 million views on YouTube, which is, that blows, that if anything I've ever thought about, that probably blows my nose because that's like, that's like a lot, a lot of views and a lot of people. And that, yeah, that kind of is a big number to think about. And is that how you've been able to scale globally then, would you say? So with going to Australia? Yeah, I just, I know I can kind of obviously see on my analytics where my audiences are, but I've got a big audience in Australia and they obviously did a lot of pee with Joe later on in the evening when it was their time. And yeah, I just think, you know, continue to grow. Like if I can go to countries where I'm already kind of have a little audience, can I amplify that and keep people engaged and exercise? Because, you know, there's mental health issues all around the world right now. People are struggling with their, their physical and their mental health. And I, I just want to be a good positive voice in that and, you know, really make an impact. And I'm, I could stop today and say I did really well. I'm really proud of what I've achieved, but I know there's more in the tank. I've got another good, you know, 10 or 15 years of, of, of mission-driven work to get people f feeling good and cooking and moving. And so I'm just going to keep going. Mission-driven. So how do you how do you goal set? You know, because the stuff that you achieve so mega, do you write it down? Do you do a vision board? Um, I'm not a massive like journaler or anything. I don't write everything down. I like doing gratitude lists. I've started that recently. I just in the morning I'll just write five things I'm I'm grateful for, and like could be the littlest of things like you know warm bed and, and and sanitation and clean water, and I'm glad my kids are safe. Little things like that. That really brings me to the present moment. I actually appreciate the small things. But with goal setting, I I'm not someone who has like um a really long term vision, and like you know like some people have like their whole year and everything's planned ahead. Yeah. I actually like it a bit more free-flowing where I'm not too sure what's going to happen and I'm not that strategic really. But um, I just I definitely had a, a time where I set a few things. Like I wanted to one day have a boot camp. I wanted to one day, you know, have a, have a magazine column and, you know, I wanted to one day have a fitness channel. So the basic things I kind of put into place, but I don't have any like really big moonshots. I should get one where I should sit down and think about one. <laughs> I know you mentioned your brother before, um, who I sometimes stalk a little, little bit on LinkedIn, and you're working with Simon. It sounds like you're kind of creative all the ideas, and he's like operations technical. And then you mentioned some friends. So, what's the hierarchy? Who is in the body coach team? It's much smaller than you think. It's, it's growing recently because we've obviously brought this in house, um, this team in house. But essentially, in the early days, it was me, my brother Nikki, like doing literally my social media, helping me with Twitter and boosting posts and stuff and then um my friend dom who's like head of content who does all the filming that was kind of it for a long time but now obviously we've got we've got a head of finance we've got a head of people we've got um head of engineering then there's different teams there's an ios and an android team then we've got the support coaches who are like the support customer care so it's um we're currently at about 40 members of the team 
But yeah, I have to say, like what you see, see on the outside. So my success and what you see, half of it's me, half of it's Nicky. Yeah. Because he was there in the early days, helping me with social media, you know, doing newsletters, helping me um, with the marketing, with create, creating ideas. He's such a great visionary and he's a very good um, storyteller because he was actually a journalist and an editor of a magazine. Yeah. So I said, look, you've got to come and help me. I'm struggling there. I can't do this. And he, he took a punt and, you know, we are brothers. We have disagreements, but we always find the solution. We always work out and we... You know, we, we're really close and I, I love that I'm on this journey with him, really. Just a reminder that the best way you can support the show is to subscribe, leave us a five-star rating and a little review for what you think of our show wherever you listen to your podcasts. It only takes a second and may seem like a small thing, but it helps us rank in the podcast charts, find new listeners and reach even more amazing guests. So with your review, you're actually helping to improve the Anything Is Possible show. And we'll touch on your family in a bit, but how amazing after what kind of you both been through to, to show the success to your mum and dad as well together as a team. That's amazing. And um, time management, I guess it's a bit different now. You talked about the early days that, you know, setting up a business, uh, the hours are relentless, but you've got a family now. Um, what does your, how do you manage your time? Are you super organised? Do you block it? How does it, how does it work? How have you fitted me in for an hour when you're so busy? Well, I'm lucky that Nicky is who he is, and he's he's very good at the process stuff. He's very good at he's very organised. He's, he's he's good at planning. He's he's just like good at operations. So it allows me just to be who I am, and the, the, like the things I love doing. I don't want to. I don't understand HR, and I don't understand finance and accounting and forecasting. I just don't understand engineering. I don't understand, it and I don't want to get involved in it. So I do what I'm good at, which is I wake up, I do inspiring stories, I share you know, helpful recipes. I film YouTube content. I filmed two work. I did a live on the app this morning and I filmed two YouTube workouts so that when I'm in Australia, all the content's there and I can keep things ticking over. Um, yesterday I did a day, we, we hire these beautiful houses and sort of film for the day, different workouts and stuff. But I, I just I just do what I'm good at and that's allowed me to grow and to be happy and to still enjoy it and not burn out. So I am, um, you know, I have a diary. I've got my my brother, and um, we we've got we share like an executive assistant who helps us with the calendar and stuff. So that's Jenna, who's Jenna and Mariana. Who are um, and that helps us, yeah. But I really, I've got this good balance where like I work hard, but I also take time out, and I don't want to look around and go, oh, you know, I've just worked all year, I've done nothing with the family, I've not been present. So I've got this nice balance where I'll, I'll work intensely for a month. Yeah, I'll take a couple of days off, or I'll, I'll turn my phone off, and that that helps as well. I think. With social media, it's like it all. The, the whole, the biggest issue is that everything relies on me. If I stop, it all stops. So yeah. that has to. Sometimes it can be overwhelming. So I have to take a break and go. I need a week off. I'm just going to turn my phone off, and you know everything slows down. But I come back with energy. I can pick things up again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you just got to plan your time and find time to exercise. Find time to sleep. Like I prioritize sleep. I, even though sometimes I'm a bit naughty and end up with my phone in the bed, and I'll be on my phone till one a.m. Most of the time, I'm asleep by ten. Get up at six. Like. That's my golden hours and I wake up ready to like continue the mission. Yeah. So it's these simple things, isn't it? Like, you know, um, sleep, that stepping away. I think from listening to you a few times, you kind of, you can get, you'll do like go away to America for two weeks, will you? And things like that. Yeah. Or even just like go away for the weekend or just be at home, but turn the phone off and say, look, I'm going to be away for two days. I'm going to turn the phone off. Like Nikki might post a couple of things like a blog or something, but I, I just say that I'm off because it's good to show that you can have time away from your phone. It's good for your mental health. Like, whether you run a business or not, you know, we consume so much information. And, and that's the thing about the phone. It's so sticky, right? Like the Instagram, the TikTok, the Reels is, it's like you can be in bed and you think, what am I looking at? It's 1am, why aren't I asleep? And so 
I try to encourage people to have that little bit of um, a phone fast where you just put it down for a few hours or a day. And it's so good for your mental health. It's so important to do that now and again. Do you know, it's, it's so true, actually. So I've been on my phone and laptop way too much at the moment. And suddenly you feel it, don't you? Like you need to step away from it. Um, so that goes on to, before we kind of leave the fitness bit and talk a bit more about personal stuff, if you were going to give people five, your five tips for being healthy, lean, happy, what are your top five? All right, I'm going to get a bit more light in it. Oh, number one. Yeah. Number one is prioritize sleep, right? I know. It's, it's harder. To, it's, it's easier said than done, but the reason sleep is so important is because the foundations of everything are on your sleep, right? So if you get a good night's sleep, your your cortisol levels are dropped. You feel less stressed. You wake up with energy to exercise. You make better food choices. You want to cook healthy food. So you know, sleep can affect your mood, your relationships, everything around you improves. We know that when we get a better night's sleep, you know. So if you can do one thing this year, try and get a bit more sleep. Um, Second thing is move your body, you know, movement, which could be anything from jogging, walking, yoga, a free YouTube workout, you know, downloading a fitness app or joining a class. It's just like, I think exercise used to, people consider exercise as an optional thing that you should do now and again to lose weight for a wedding or for a party, but it's it's essential. Like exercise for mental health and for, for energy and for mood and to live in the modern world is essential, right? So if you're going to, if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to start a business and a company uh, you, the last thing you want to do is neglect your physical mental health. It's like it's the priority number one. All successful people, I think, all successful, really successful people, exercise is a fundamental part of their routine. It allows them to think, to clear their mind, to feel focused, to feel like they can take on the pressures of running a business because it's really tough. So, yeah, this year, move more. Yeah, that's the second. Yeah. Third one, um, again, is simple one, but also very difficult, is cook more. Yeah. You know, it's when you're cooking more, you're in control of the food you eat. You can control the portions. You know what's going in the food. You're not relying on Uber Eats, Deliveroo, M&S, you know, Tesco sandwiches and takeaways. You're not because rel- you're creating your own, you're preparing and creating your own food. So those those three things are obviously very important. Um, number four, uh, again, another really basic one is to drink more water. A lot of people go all day drinking one glass of water, loads of coffee, you know, fizzy drinks, energy drinks, but simply drinking more water and being hydrated like your body just you know your energy levels stay up you don't crave snacks and junk kind of you know your body's digesting food better so drinking a lot more water is one of those things that a lot of people just don't do enough of so drink more water um the fifth thing (laughs) i think socialize i think you know socializing with friends and family like talking communicating that that affects your your energy and your mood and also your mental health so i think you know if you are gonna you know start a business and you know it's going to take you away from your friends and family just please like prioritize time with people because you don't want to be in this little insular bubble where you're building something but you're you're quite lonely or you're quite overwhelmed and you feel like you're on your own with it i think communicating and talking and being around people is so important for our health yeah brilliant so that's joe wick said it so we have to follow it um right, so you've just mentioned family and um, now i don't know if you remember but when we met at that dinner i didn't realize your mum had had ocd and i said to you as we had um our photo on the stage i said oh i had ocd um and then since meeting you and knowing we were going to do the podcast i watched your documentary um and um I think I said to you, I'm I massively believe that OCD is misrepresented in the media. Um, it's not, you know, it, people just think it's cleaning. I know your mum's manifested in cleaning, but it will have been, I'm sure, you know, to deal with anxiety, cancel thoughts and things like that. Um, 
and it was amazing that you brought awareness of that. Um, how is your mum now? Would she would she say she's recovered from OCD? Yeah, I don't know if you if you fully recover if it's something you live with forever. I'm not sure. I've never asked her that question, but it's definitely a. It's but it was a coping mechanism for her. For her, what she went through as a child, you know, childhood trauma, growing up, parenting, all that sort of stuff. It manifested in two things: eating disorders. She was very yeah. bulimic, she, you know, anorexic, didn't eat and controlled her eating. And the second thing was excessive cleaning of the house, you know, and I mean like two or three times a day, cupboards out, scrubbing, bleaching, hoovering. And it was such a friction. It was such a point of tension because as a young kid coming home from school, you just want to like run in, put your shoes on the floor, run upstairs, play your games, make those a mess. But I was never allowed to. It was like living in a IKEA show home, I always say. Like it was immaculate and no one was allowed in. No, I didn't have, I couldn't have like parties and, you know, I couldn't have sleepovers and all that sort of stuff. I had a couple of mates stay, but I wasn't one of those families where I could have loads of mates rushing the house. It all had to be nice and clean. But yeah, she, you know, she still loves a clean house. She's very proud, but she, she can sit in the mess for a few days now. Before, yeah. she couldn't have anything dirty. Yeah. Whereas now, she's a little bit messy. She'll leave it a day. She's not feeling good. And she'll, you know, when she's better, she'll get up and have a clean. But, you know, she, she still struggles with certain things. And I, because I understand her now, I didn't know this at the time. I didn't know my mum had mental health issues, anxiety, you know, depression, you know, panic attacks. So I, I was a teenager just fighting against this woman who I just didn't understand. But now I understand her. I love her and I, I support her and I kind of, I help her, I talk to her more, you know, I open up a little bit with her and she's, she's amazing. She's an amazing mum. She's so loving. And so, yeah, she's definitely, um, definitely, definitely much better with the cleaning. And, you know, her cars are, it's funny because her car was always an absolute mess, like loads of crisp packets and cans of Coke everywhere. But then her house is like pristine. So it's like these two ends of the spectrum. Well, it's um, it's interesting because uh, uh, mine wasn't cleaning. So I think you said to me, "Is it cleaning?" I was like, "If anyone knows me, they'll definitely tell you it's not cleaning." Mine was purely um, intrusive thoughts, horrible intrusive thoughts, and the way that I dealt them was um, like remuneration, writing everything down. You know, OCD can manifest in so many ways. So just thank you to you because I'm on a bit of a mission, and you know, somebody like you bringing it to the forefront is amazing. Um, I think what's also been really lovely from following your journey is you don't have any resentment. Like a lot of um, adults, you know, they're still in that poor me, victim, child mode. And I feel like whether that's your strength of character, but you don't seem to bear any resentment to your mum or um, your dad was obviously an addict, which you've talked about. Um, And you've had no therapy. So are you just a very, very strong-minded person? Yeah, I think I I must have... um... I must have somewhere along the line just become quite resilient and I I don't look back very often. I'm not so I don't look into the future that much really. I I, I like I plan a holiday and I look forward to like going to Coachella or something, but I'm not like looking ahead and what's gonna happen and catastrophizing and I don't look back much because if I do, it's quite you know, I just think it's a waste of time and energy for me to do that. And I just I love my mum and dad today and sorry. And um and every single experience I went went through as a kid, like it shaped me. Like I'm a I'm a good husband. I'm a faithful husband. I'm loyal to my wife and kids, and I'm I'm a good kid. I'm a good son. I look after my parents and my family. So somewhere, although it was a very chaotic upbringing, I've been nurtured in a way that's allowed me to be very loving, very generous. You know, I, I look after people around me. So yeah, I just think for me, it's like if my relationships are strong today, I don't need to worry about how my dad treated me when I was ten years old or wasn't around because he was on heroin and he couldn't love anybody. He didn't even love himself. You know, so. It's like, it is what it is, and I am who I am, and I'm really driven. I'm so driven to have a different life. I'm so driven to support my family and friends around me so they don't have to struggle. Because it was when you're a kid on the council estate and everything's about money, you're always skint, you can't afford anything. Like, you know, you, I don't want to be in that level of anxiety. So for me, I just want to 
you know, continue to support my family. So that kind of drives me to keep working hard, I suppose. Can you tell the story, and I absolutely love it, um, of when you told your mum you'd got the MBA? Yeah, I'd love to tell a story. So I took my mum to um, dinner at Lucky Cat, which is one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants in London. And uh, like, I got a table and I was like, oh, I can't wait to take this lovely restaurant and let's get dressed up. And, you know, we sat there and it was like this little sort of booth. And um, I just said, Mum, I've got something to tell you, something really exciting to happen. I got an email today um, and it's real. It's not a wind up. Like, <laughs> I'm getting an MBE. And she just burst into tears and we had this little cuddle. And she's like, I'm so... She's like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew you were going to get one. Everyone was saying it to me. And I said, no, I didn't didn't believe it. But, you know, she was just so proud because I, you know, I was of all the kids, I was the naughtiest. Like, I was the naughty kid and I was the clown and I was always getting kicked out of school. And I suppose people would always say, like, you know, this term, like, you know, because when, you know, we were from that house, you know, police would knock down a door and it's just like a madhouse, right? So they were always calling us wrongans. They were like, oh, you and your kids are wrongans <laughs> and they're going to end up, you know, like your dad, they're going to be a junkie. But, there I am, me and Nikki at Windsor Palace with Princess Anne getting an MBE. So like we've come full circle from that life that we lived that we lived. And she's just proud, like super proud. And my dad's proud of me as well. And you know, we we talk about it a lot. It's in my drawer by my bed. I don't wear it or anything, but I'm still really proud of it. <laughs> and you've got a lovely relationship with your dad now, haven't you? Do you do biking or something together? You've found some hobbies that you can do together. Yeah, we go um we go out on the motorbikes together and you know, we spend time going just like Wales or Scotland, we go riding and yeah, he comes round, we have a sauna and a nice bath together and we talk about things and we've got a much more open relationship because that's the thing, I didn't trust him. I never trusted him a word he could say. Because when you're an addict and you're using, you lie so much, you know, you just never get, unless you get caught red-handed, you just lie. So it took me a long time to build that trust, but I do trust him now and I do have a great relationship. And same with my mum, you know, I, I think we have, um, you know, they're not together, together, yeah. but we have separate relationships where we, we really have amazing times together, you know, and, and I've got a great relationship with them and I'm so grateful they're alive because... They had, they had me really young. You know, my mum was 17 when she had Nikki and she was 19 when she had me. And wow. I'm so grateful now. Well, that must have been really hard for her. I'm so grateful that she's young and she's a young grandma and she's around the kids and she loves it. And also talking of relationships, your lovely wife, Rosie. And um, uh, one of the things with anything is possible that I am super passionate about as well is not settling. And I speak to so many people in relationships, male and female, who settle and they think they, you know, I've made a commitment to be married, so I have to stay there. Um, you know, and they, and it frustrates me so much because I think we all live on life and, you know, you need to be with your soulmate and have, have so much amazing time together. And you talked about um, with with Steve on his podcast, you can see I've been doing my homework, uh, just how important it is to invest a relationship. And I'd love you to talk, because you have got a female audience, a lot of a female audience. Um, talk to us about that, your view of relationships. Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously like married to Rosie. We've got three kids and that, that has its challenges and, it, and it's kind of stressful at times. But we are, I think teamwork's important. We are a team. You know, we... We really value that time alone as a family going out and doing things, but also, you know, giving the kids to my mum or Rosie's mum for a, an evening or a night and going to the cinema or going, you know, going out into London for a night out and roller disco, all these yeah. things. Because it, it makes you feel it's the things you did when you first met, those date nights where you say, right, let's go to swingers and do crazy golf or let's go ice skating today or let's go to the cinema, all those things. That, and, and you fall in love with a person again. Like we you have a few cocktails, we have roller skating, you know, the, the, these little things they really bring you close together because you you end up talking about your kids. This is the funny thing. You go on a date, you know, how much you love your kids. But we we just do those things, you know, the basics, like going for dinner one once every now and again or, you know, just having breaks and weekends away. That's really important. And also, you know, allowing her to 
find time to exercise, to be with her friends, to, you know, I went to Coachella with my friend on a stag do. The week after, I came home, hung over, and I, I had the kids for three days while she went to Coachella. So things like that where we... That's amazing. ...know each other to do the things we love as individuals. Um, and also, I really appreciate, you know, you, you see me on social media, like, I, I vocally appreciate her publicly because I want her to know that I work hard as this body coach guy, but she's an amazing mum, and it's really hard being a parent to three children, and she, she loves it, and she's good at it. So I... I always say, you know, the reason I'm successful is you've allowed me to be. You've allowed me to be the body coach. You've, yeah. You've been there, like getting up with the kids for the night, while I, so I can sleep and get up and do the boot camps in the morning, so I can, you know, go on these tours around the UK and and, and do all the work I do. So, massively teamwork and just not taking it for granted. Like we don't take each other for granted because the minute you do, you start to disrespect each other and you start to not appreciate the little things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think ver- verbally saying it, being grateful, like little things, like I'm grateful that you know, you brought these beautiful kids into my life. Like, thank you for doing that. And like, when you say it out loud, it means more than just thinking it. And so I say it to her. Yeah. And then, you know, the kids are like, I'm grateful for my beans on toast today. Like, it's just nice to say. <laughs> oh, and where, where does that come from then, that? Like, because I heard you say as well, kissing is so important. You need to tell the nation that actually, Joe. Like, yes, definitely. Kissing in a relationship is important. When- yeah, well, you know, whenever you're going to, you're going to get a sound bite out of me. But whenever I say anything, I say, oh, like it's, it always goes to like the you know the nooking. It's always like a sexual innuendo. What I mean by kissing is it is important. You know, kissing's amazing. It's a it's a it's an amazing thing. It's like everything starts from a kiss, doesn't it? So kissing, holding hands, cuddling, like those things that are hard to find time for when you've got three kids running around and it's really stressful. But just don't stop kissing. That is it. Don't keep kissing. That's point six. So you've given us six yeah. tips to stay healthy. Oh no, well you look like you've got a gorgeous family, and we all have seen that on social media as well. Um, so, I, you know, I've got you for an hour, so I'm going to use my last few minutes very cleverly. Um, so what's next, um, particularly in the next two years, because 2024 will be the actual 10 year of the, the body coach, won't it? So what's what's happening? Well, as I said, I'm going to Australia next month in February for a, a tour of, of, the, of, you know, down under tour P with Joe, like just trying to see if can I take what I've done in the UK? Can I have that same impact and reach across there and maybe to the US as well? Um, we're talking about doing another TV show. We've done the documentary, which was obviously a one-off, and I'm, yeah. I'm really proud of that documentary. But I think there's definitely room, because, you know, like I've realized, I can't rely on social media anymore. If I want to continue to grow the business and the brand, you know, and I've got an opportunity to do radio and TV, like, take the opportunity, you know. But I've got to do something I love. I, I can't just be on Celebrity, get me out of here, or, or Strictly, because you get millions of views, and it's like relevancy. I've got to be on TV doing what I love, like yeah. fitness and food and being passionate about the mission. So trying to work out some ideas around that. Um, and yeah, I'd love to take my kids traveling a little bit to see some of the world before they start big school. Um, <laughs> and I definitely think we'll have another baby. Lenny's not our last baby. We always, I was laying last night, I was thinking, can't be my last baby, this can't be my last cuddles. And so I think we'll have another baby at some point if we well, can. If you're going to be the fitness version of Jamie Oliver, is it five he's got? Jamie and Gordon have both got yeah, five, you've yeah. Got, you've got think, another two. I think it seems mad, but actually, like, I meet loads of families on these tours, you know, and there's five kids, six kids. They're, like, little, they're going up in height, and I think it looks amazing. I yeah. love that. I love the, the chaos of a big family. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Um, and what are the plans for the 10-year anniversary? Are you going to do something special for that? I think I should do a big event, yeah. I think I should do, like, a big, you know, a mass meet-up or some kind of competition where we can do, like, a a party I've done this a few years back so when I hit a million followers on Instagram I threw a party in London there was a competition like 200 people came 
And it was so fun, but it was proper intense because I was in the middle of this club in Soho that I'd rented. And it was like, you know, there's like booze and cakes and everything was like, like lean and 15. It was really fun. But it was just, everyone was grabbing me. Like it was the last time they were going to see me. They were grabbing me for selfies. And I was like, it's proper chaos. I was like, oh, I can't do this. So I think if I did another part, I'd have to probably keep it a bit smaller, maybe 50 people. <laughs> okay. And um, so this podcast is called Anything is Possible. And actually, Joe, it was completely born out of me recovering from OCD because as you um, said before, if you re- research anything to do with OCD, they do say that you will always live with a low level of it. Um, and when I recovered, I, I genuinely thought like I, I've rewired my brain. Anything is possible. So, um, you know, it, it, it's so amazing that you're on here because the whole thing is inspired by that. Um, but what would you say anything is possible means to you? I love that. It's such a nice. Lo- I love that you're using your experience to yeah, you know, encourage that and push that forward. Mess, you know, push that message forward and hopefully inspire other people. Well, two things I believe that change is possible and anything is possible. And sometimes people it. get stuck in limiting beliefs and you know experiences that of failure that hold you back and I, I just really do think that anything is possible and I've got this lovely quote that I use you might have heard that my dad said to me once when I was a teenager um and it's that if you're going to miss the bus miss it running oh I love it yeah so whatever you do in life even if you think you might miss it you've got to give it a chance you've got to give it 100% you've got to go you've got to run for it right run for the bus and even if you miss it you can say well at least I had a go I'd, I, I would never have got it if I walked but I ran for it and so I apply that principle to everything to you know to, to work to relationships to friendships you know you just got to work at it and do your best and do everything you can to try and get on the bus and you know I think people I think as we get older people's um you know we always have ambition we never lose ambition but sometimes your belief in that sort of disappears as you get older because family relationships work you think I'm tied into this I can't change I've got a mortgage I can't change career like but you can, you can change career and anything is possible. It might take a lot of hard work for a couple of years, but you know, there's people out there working part-time, studying, going back to university. Like, you know, you can literally be anything. You could train to be a doctor in seven years. Like you could literally do anything you want if you're willing to try and put the effort in. So yeah, whatever you're setting yourself up for this year, just take it one day at a time and believe in yourself a little bit. It's like, obviously, we did, we've only met once, but honestly, what you've just said is basically the script that I use for anything is possible. Like, I always say, you know, let's be positive. We can live to 100. There's 10 decades, 10 years in every decade. Like, how many, you can live a million lives, you know, and make the most of everything. So, um, I'm so glad you're on the same wavelength. Um, so true. You love that. Um, listen, it's so amazing to meet you and to meet someone you've followed for years and realise they're even nicer than what they come across on um, social media. You really are um, one in a million and uh, the nation, Australia and your family are very lucky to have you. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much, Holly. Well, listen, you've supported me from the start, like OG 90-day plan, probably got one of my Lean in 15 bucks, and I'm really happy. <laughs> all of them, oh, you've got all of them. Look, thank you so much. And I, I'm glad we met. And I said to you, go on, then you're going to ask me. <laughs> You're going to ask me to come on your podcast. I'll, I'll do it. And, you, you, you know, this is it. Anything's possible if you actually ask the question. So um, I hope you've enjoyed our chat. And I really wish the best luck of everything you're doing as well. Oh, thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. Good luck. Hold up. 
Have you been wondering what Anything Is Possible Live 2024 is all about? It's a 12-hour personal development experience from 8am to 8pm. Beyond the amazing content that is going to help you achieve your dreams, we have got mega brands, delicious food and drink, unique activations and much more. This is the sign you have been waiting for. It is time to invest in yourself and be part of something amazing. I really hope to see you there. Link in the bio to buy your tickets.